With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Podcast Network. Mark Daly here, welcoming you on board to the show this week. Once again, I'm on my own. Kevin is off busy planning and preparing for his wedding. And it's been another insane week here on my side. So it's been taking me a little bit longer than usual to sit down and actually record this week's show, but that's okay. One more day to go and then it's weekend and I'm already looking forward to it. I need a little bit of a break. I need a little bit of R&R so the weekend can't come soon enough. Anyways, what a Grand Prix we had last weekend in, in Monaco. Lewis Hamilton winning for the third time at Monaco and Mercedes winning for the sixth time in seven years now. They won 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2019. Can you name the other two drivers that have won in the intervening years? Well, if you guess Sebastian Vettel and Danny Ricardo in 2017 and 2018, you're correct. But I was I was impressed. I was I enjoyed the race. And full disclosure here, and I've said it many times in the past, Monaco isn't always my favorite circuit. I, I'm not really too keen on the road tracks. I, I've said that for years and years and years. But hey, it turned out pretty good. It was uh different in a sense from last year when we had Danny Ricardo leading in front with a, a failing engine. But this year we had Lewis Hamilton on the wrong tires and struggling for grip for so many laps at the front there. And, uh, you know, kudos to Lewis. It was a really hard fought uh, victory for him. And also kudos to Max Verstappen. He tried to make one pass right towards the end there, locked up his tire and did clip Lewis uh, on, the, on the left rear tire. But maybe we're seeing Max Verstappen mature a little bit. So we've seen him make plenty of uh, impulsive and uh, impressive overtaking maneuvers over the years. But uh, certainly I think he kept his uh, head cool and uh, avoided having a, an accident, bigger accidents, although uh, locking up like that, maybe take a little bit of bl- a blame away from Max, whose tires were also struggling a little bit. Anyways, why don't we just uh, run down the top 10 here for the Monaco Grand Prix. Of course, it was Lewis Hamilton in first Sebastian Vettel Ferrari in second, two and a half seconds behind Valtteri Bottas on the podium in third position for, um, I was going to say for Ferrari, pardon me, for Mercedes. And that means for the first time in 2019, we do not have a one-two Mercedes finish. They're still on the podium, but Sebastian Vettel nicely sliding in between the two Mercedes for that second place. In fourth was Max Verstappen, who dropped a couple of places, of course, having to uh, serve there, have that five-second time penalty. 
added to his uh, final race time because of the incident between him and Valtteri Bottas in the pits, and a little bit uh, more on that later on. Pierre Gasly in the second, Red Bull in fifth, Carlos Sainz in McLaren in sixth, could result there. Danny Kvyat and Alexander Albon in seventh and eighth for Toro Rosso. Danny Ricardo in ninth, and rounding out the top ten was Roman Grosjean in the Haas. So, well... Like I say, it was an exciting race, and we're going to lead off right off the very top with Lewis Hamilton saying that he feels as though he's been average so far in 2018. And, well, you know, that's a that's a fair comment, but I think that if you are not Lewis Hamilton, you're one of the other 19 drivers in Formula One, I think maybe you're going to be feeling a little bit nervous if Lewis has felt that uh, that he is not performing or driving at his uh, very, very best. And that uh, could be a bit of a shot across the, the, the bow, but Lewis obviously had to work very, very hard for that win in Monaco, and I think he was uh, really deserving of it. It was not an easy thing to do with the tires on the front of the car really coming apart like they were. His rear tires weren't uh, too bad, and I think obviously that's uh, probably what saved him in the end, especially when they went into the tunnel, and then in the chicane there was one of the the, the places that you can overtake, and of course that's where Max tried to slide up uh, the inside there and try and pass Lewis. Of course it didn't come off, but Lewis just having that that grip and just enough grip on those rear tires was able just to get, you know, put the power down going into the tunnel and just open up enough of a gap uh, to keep Max Verstappen at, uh, at arm's length. And honestly, I really did expect to see Max Verstappen fight harder than he did. Well, I mean, he did fight very hard. I shouldn't say that because that's uh, not completely fair, but I really expected to see Max really try and make a move earlier to try and get in front of Lewis and try and build up uh, a bit of the gap at the front if uh, he, um, he, he possibly could. Of course, it didn't uh, turn out that way, but ideally for Max Verstappen, that's what he would have wanted to do, get in front of Lewis and, and open up that gap, if at all possible, and try and uh, make sure that he got five seconds ahead to, to keep the, the, the victory, or at least try and stay ahead of the cars uh, behind him. It didn't work out that way in the end, but certainly Max did... I think everything he could to try and uh, and get in front of uh, Lewis Hamilton and Christian Horner, the Red Bull boss, said that he felt it was rather reserved uh, performance or overtaking uh, what that we saw from Max uh, Verstappen. And I think that's very true. I mean, in the last year, Max, I think, has really. I think come to, I wouldn't say come to his senses, but he certainly has learned to be, I think, a little bit more focused and choose his battles a little bit more wisely than we saw in his first couple of years in Formula One. Of course, uh, we saw him make some very exciting and, and very, uh, you know, impressive overtakings uh, during that time. But at times, that that impulsiveness or that that those real daring things that we he would do did obviously cost him from time to time, and then of course. So the, the, at the start of 2018, he had a rough, rough beginning to the year, and it really peaked at uh, at Monaco last year when he put it into the barrier in uh, FP3, and then just was not able to get out in qualifying. I mean, he did very well to climb, basically halfway up through the field. I mean, who who passes that many cars at Monaco? Well, the answer, of course, is uh, Max Verstappen is a guy that can pass half the field at Monaco, but uh, he wasn't able to to really get close to the front runners. But still, a good result for Max. And that was that real turning point. Because I think it really got him 
I think really reality came crashing in on him at that time. I mean, there's no doubt that Max Verstappen is a fantastic race driver. He, he's quick. I mean, he's got a wonderful uh, driving style. He's aggressive when he needs to be. And uh, he's just as good in the wet as he is in the dry. And he, he's got all the hallmarks of being uh, a multiple race winner. And maybe one of these days, a world champion, if he can get a car that uh, that uh, that uh, can put him in that position. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, certainly, he looks like a guy that has everything that he that, that he needs but it was just that point last year that there were too many things going wrong and too many things that were of his uh, his own doing so by going away from monaco and and going to canada like he did and showing up at um, at montreal by himself without his entourage and just focusing on what he needed to get done has really I think set the foundations for Max Verstappen version 2.0 because it really was a different Max Verstappen in the the, the remaining uh, part of 2018 last that year, of course, and this year he's just carrying over. And he he looks more mature. He seems more responsible. But <laughs> I guess we do have to at some point talk about that quote unquote safe unsafe release in the in the pits there when everybody went in for the safety car. And well, Max did say that he felt that uh, Red Bull did everything correct to get him out. And he didn't know that uh, Valtteri was uh, beside him. Bottas uh, said that he felt that uh, that Max kept drifting over to the right and really leaving him less and less space the entire time and basically forcing him into the wall there. And well, <laughs> Bottas had to come back around almost immediately to change the tires. And because he had a, a broken wheel, and it was unfortunate, uh, especially if you're your Valtteri Bottas. But anything can happen at, at Monaco, and uh, it certainly is a, a track where we can or we have seen a, a fair number of cars drop out due to accidents or attrition or a combination of uh, of, of the both over the years. But uh, Bottas probably feeling a little bit frustrated. That uh, that he was uh, caught out like that, especially when he tried to open up a, a bit of a gap during the uh, on the track there, so they could double stack the cars at Mercedes in the pits, get Lewis in, then get uh, Valtteri out there. But it just you could just tell that it was looking pretty tight. That as one car came in, and well, they all came in and uh, bought us and uh, Max virtually leaving their pit boxes at the same time, and it just uh, you had that feeling when you saw the cameras that well, there certainly does not look like there's going to be enough room for both Max Verstappen and, and Val, uh, Valtteri Bottas, and that's exactly how it turned out. But when you looked at the the scrap that Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen had for dozens and dozens and dozens of laps, it was interesting how those two drivers ended up having some issues with their tires, Lewis most notably uh, of all with those uh, the, his front tires. But I thought looking at uh, Valtteri Bottas and Sebastian Vettel just a, a little bit uh, further back, there were those comments uh, during the race that uh, Sebastian was dealing with some uh, issues with uh, with overheating. And every time I thought, okay, well, maybe he's going to have to back off, just get uh, a, a bit more cooler air between himself and, and Max Verstappen in front. Then he closed up the gap uh, a little bit. And by virtue of doing that and, and staying a little bit further behind uh, Verstappen and Hamilton right in the front there, I, I think that uh, Sebastian 
Sebastian really did the very best that he could to, to save his tires and really preserve them. And even the same with uh, with Valtteri Bottas. He was just a little bit further behind, um, wasn't able to or, or didn't really get close enough to Sebastian Vettel to try and, and challenge him for, for third on the track. But hey, did they really even need to? But the point is, both uh, Bottas and uh, Vettel really uh, took care of their tires better. And I was, I was wondering at some point later in the race, especially with the Vettel's tires looking as good as they did, whether or not he might try and push and try and, and maybe make a go and trying to catch Verstappen and pass him and maybe try and, and do something with Lewis Hamilton. But then I thought, does he really need to? It's it's obviously been a very difficult start to the year for Ferrari. And you're sitting in a good spot. You're going to finish with at least second in this race. And if something happens to Hamilton, maybe you even inherit the lead because he he knew that he didn't have to take uh, overtake uh, Verstappen for second, and knowing the history that the two have had over the past couple of years, and Vettel usually coming off worse whenever there's something that happens between him and Max, that w- would you really want to risk it trying to pass him just to try and pass Lewis, which may or may not happen, because we, we may have seen the same thing uh, between the Ferrari and the Mercedes, as we saw between the, the Mercedes and the Red Bull, and that's that uh, same situation, just going into the tunnel, Hamilton puts his foot down on the gas. He's got enough grip on those rear tires just to open up enough of a gap through the tunnel going into the chicane and just keep uh, enough of a gap uh, to the guy behind him so they're not going to be able to make a pass in the chicane. So we may have seen the same thing with uh, Sebastian Vettel. So I think even though it may have been a little bit reserved and if that indeed was his uh, decision uh, not to to, to push and try and pass uh, Verstappen, I think that was the way to go because as I was saying just now, it's been a tough year for the Scuderia and would you really want to risk anything when you know that you're going to probably going to get second place because uh, Bottas didn't really look like he was going to be there in a position to challenge uh, Vettel for position on the track there. So I think that was uh, certainly uh, well played uh, by Sebastian Vettel. Just take the safe points and then come back to Montreal in a couple of weeks and hope Cross your fingers, pray, do whatever you need to do that your engineers and everybody at the factory in Marinello can get everything sorted out and you can have a more competitive car when you get to Circuitio Villeneuve in Montreal in a couple of weeks. Anyways, time for a quick break here on the Overtime Sports Podcasting Network. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
All right, welcome back to Scuderia F1. Now let's just take a quick look at the constructor standings before we go on to some other topics here. And well, it's still more of the same, isn't it? (laughs) And why shouldn't it be? It is still Mercedes way out in front in the constructors with 257 points, Ferrari in second with 139, Red Bull third in the championship with 110 points, McLaren currently sitting comfortably in fourth position in the constructors with 30 points, and then Racing Point rounding out the top five with 17 points. McLaren sitting in that spot that was uh, occupied last year as a uh, best of the rest, uh, and that was uh, uh, <laughs> was occupied last year by Renault. Tripping over myself here, like I say, it's been a long week, guys. Anyways, uh, they're slowly but surely moving in the right direction and uh, we saw again the, this past weekend another good uh, results for for Carlos Sainz and I don't know how long it's going to take before we see McLaren in a competitive uh, position in Formula One but the results that we've seen through the first half dozen or so races this year, I think are very encouraging that for once they are moving in the right direction. They're, they they have a car that is, it's not the best, obviously, but it's a lot better than what they've had over the past couple of years. The Renault power seems to be stable and it, it's good to see that, that even though they're not sitting Formula One on fire, they're not making the headlines, at least they're not making headlines for the wrong reasons. And it was painful painful to watch over the past uh, several years. And I mean, I grew up in the era of McLaren, Honda, Senna, Prost, and the domination that uh, that they had as a team in the late uh, 1980s and the 1990s. And then of course, in the early, in the late uh, 1990s and the early 2000s with the Silver Arrows, David Coulthard, Mika Hakkinen. I mean, just some iconic cars, some great drivers, a, a lot of fantastic memories. And then, I mean, even up until the beginning of the Lewis Hamilton era, just over 10 years ago, I mean, they were still a competitive team. And just to see them fall off in the the, the deep end that they did and looking where they were wallowing just even a year or 18 months ago, well, maybe not a year, definitely uh, 18 months ago, two years ago, it was just painful to watch. So certainly uh, good to see that uh, that slowly but surely they are clawing their way back to com- a competitiveness in uh, Formula One. And certainly, I mean, they are getting back some uh, respectability and, uh, yeah, well... Let's see where they go from here. Anyways, just uh, let's take a quick look now at the driver's standings. Lewis Hamilton on top in first position in the championship. 137 points. Bottas in second with 120 points. Sebastian Vettel third in the championship with 82 points. Max Verstappen 78 points. And rounding out the top five is Charles Leclerc for Ferrari with 57 points. So uh, I guess there's no real surprises there. And then, then, of course, you have Pierre Gasly the second Red Bull, who's in sixth position, pretty much exactly (laughs) what you would expect. The top three teams, the top six drivers, it's all kind of mixed up a little bit, but sure, that seems uh, right for me. And then, of course, looking at number seven, I know I said I was going to do the the, the top five, but I got to throw Carlos Sainz in there and give a a shout out to to him because he is currently in seventh in the world championship with uh, with 18 points. Like I say, McLaren's not sending Formula One on fire at the moment, but to see Carlos us up in in seventh and uh, the, the team themselves in fourth in the constructors, I think is a, a very positive uh, 
step for them, and <laughs> why not? Anyways, uh, let's talk a, a little bit now about the the aftermath of the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, former world champion and uh, former teammate of Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg, and uh, Mark Webber, former Formula One driver from Red Bull, uh, have really praised Lewis and, and given him a lot of props and uh, and a lot of respect for the the job that uh, that he did. And Rosberg said it was an awesome job for the the, the win that he had on on Sunday. And certainly, when you're getting praise like that from fans and media and your 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 colleagues, your former teammates, and guys that you've raced head to head with, that was uh, certainly a you know a quite. Quite, I think it says a lot. I mean, obviously, we know what kind of driver Lewis Hamilton is, and I think it was it was a good race. I think it was fun and it was enjoyable to watch because you just knew at some point Max was going to have a go. Uh, and, and last year, what with the, the way that Ricardo was struggling and the way that the field was all backed up, it just you just had that feeling that it just wasn't going to happen, that, that nobody was going to get to get around and, and pass Danny Ricardo. I don't want to take anything away from him because for him to go as far as he had to go last year on that, uh, that, that struggling uh, Red Bull and that failing Renault engine, I mean, that, that is, it's impressive. I mean, we shouldn't take anything away from it because it was a very big accomplishment. And I mean, Ricardo had come close to winning in Monaco in the past and the year before or 2016, whenever it was, he had the, the, the botched pit stop. And when he went into the pits and the Red Bull mechanics forgot to bring the tires out. So there, there was unfortunate timing. So yeah, that would have been 2016. Of course, Vettel winning in 2017, what was a little bit controversial with the pit stops and, switching him and teammate to Kimi Raikkonen on the track. And then uh, when it looked like maybe Kimi would have been the, the guy who was uh, had track position, should have been called in first to the pits. Anyways, you know, it's Ferrari. So, you know, there's going to be some drama. There's going to be some politics at, uh, at some point. And I'm uh, digressing a little bit. But certainly, I, I think it was an impressive win by Lewis Hamilton on, on, on Sunday last week. And when you can stay out that long as as he needed to because after those uh th- those pit stops he was the one that had the softer compounds Vettel Bottas and Verstappen all opted for the hard tires so you just knew that they were going to go to the end and uh, Mercedes even said that it was uh, Hamilton that uh, that bailed them out for what was uh the, the the wrong call for those tires for putting on those medium tires and it was going to be a long way I think that uh, he went something like 67 laps after uh, pitting with the starting on the soft tires and and certainly those 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 medium compound tires just weren't designed to go that uh, that far but i do believe some some other drivers i think ricardo had uh, gone for the same uh, pit strategy or tire strategy and uh, he managed to come home in what was it ninth position now i i forget what it was put my notes away on the uh, on the, uh, the the final race cr- classification anyways some of the criticism that i saw about hamilton was was all the drama that we heard on the radio justified or was he in, in Embellishing the situation a little bit, or was was he maybe uh, maybe was it a little bit of a psyop to try and fake out uh, uh, Red Bull and, and and Ferrari and all the other cars behind him, and to maybe thinking that they were going to pit again? But when, when you're Lewis Hamilton, 
<laughs> would you really want to do that? And I don't think you're going to, you, you want to do that unless you have a major issue and that the tire is really starting to delaminate or the blistering is just too bad that, you know, that you can't go on. But even though they were looking pretty rough and pretty angry, if, if you're Lewis Hamilton and you're the best driver out there, you're going to do everything that you can need to do to stay out on there. And because, you know, if you're going to come in, you're going to lose that 20 seconds or 25 seconds or whatever it is for a pit stop in, in Monaco. And with the, the, the cars uh, of Verstappen, Vettel and Bottas stacked behind him at about uh, two seconds intervals, you know, he's not coming back out in that top three. He's going to drop down. So his day's going to be done. And he was just going to fight there. And it really made it uh, exciting, in my opinion, to see him fighting the way that uh, that he was. And, you know, I thought some of the the, the criticisms uh, that I heard from people, oh, you know, Lewis is whining, you know, he, he vents too much on the, uh, on the radio, but maybe, maybe that's just the way he is. Maybe that's what he just needs to do is just get the, get the, 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 what's out on his mind. Maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a way it just sort of maybe get some of these nerves or some of these concerns out of his system and he can just focus and, and also let them know in, in the pits when uh, they've, uh, they've made the wrong call, but certainly did he uh, not only bail himself out, but he bailed out the team on uh, on a weekend when they were it, it was tough for them of course with uh, you know Nikki Lauda the n- former non-executive chairman of Mercedes passing away only a couple of days before the race and he was one of Lewis's uh, big friends and a mentor and he said that if it wasn't for Nikki he would have only been a, a one-time world champion and referring to the the, the champion the, the championship that he won way back in the day uh, for for McLaren which seems like a eons ago but anyways <laughs> let's not go there but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it. I don't know. Do you really do? Do we really need to go as far as say that it was a classic race? Uh, maybe that might be pushing it. I, I think certainly it was an exciting race and maybe uh, better than some of the ones we've seen in in, in recent years. But they're all a little bit uh, a little bit different. And uh, Hamilton himself said that he was uh, planning to crash or finish <laughs> what he called his hardest race, and uh, certainly it didn't look uh, easy out there. Anyways, just uh, I, I wanted to go back again, just talk a little bit more about uh, Max Verstappen and just a, a little bit uh, more about that uh, penalty. So he said that the the the, the penalty that he got for uh, impeding uh, or the the unsafe release, he didn't really impede uh, Valtteri Bottas, but uh, the, he was found to have uh, been unsafely released from the pits and then uh, forcing uh, Bottas to to rub up against that uh, that Armco barrier on the the, the right hand side of the pit lane at the at Monaco, and he said that uh, once the the, the word came down it was just uh, <clears throat> it was something that really made him fired up to attack uh, Lewis and he chose to to fight for uh, victory instead of playing it safe and uh, and targeted the fastest lap bonus because he was really fired up uh, by his time penalty and we, we've heard over the years that uh, that Max if if he's unhappy about something uh, like that's going on during the race he's uh, he can be quite uh, vocal about it <laughs> I think a prime example would be last year at the Hungarian Grand Prix when he had problems uh, with with the that with the car and the uh, the Renault engine failed and uh, there was one of those bleeped out uh, race radio messages that uh, came over and i mean you 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 could tell just by the uh, the emotion in his voice that uh, that he was pretty steamed and he was not very happy with what was uh, going on uh, that 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 afternoon but uh, max i i think that sometimes to a, a certain degree that when when he gets angry he gets angry i think he sees red a little bit and i, I think that just pushes him even faster but uh, i i really felt at one point there that 
that uh, he was, I mean, he was so close to Lewis at some points and you, I just knew he was going to get a, get an opportunity at, at some point in the race to, uh, to, to, to try and uh, pass Hamilton. And I was really kind of hoping that, that, that he could have, I think it would have been kind of cool to see what would have happened had he got in front of him and uh, it, whether or not he'd be able to, to open up that gap there. Of course, uh, it didn't turn out that way, but uh, it, it was, uh, it was certainly fun to watch. Now, moving along, uh, this was a, there was a quote here the, from from Toto Wolf, the team principal at uh, Mercedes, and uh, he said that he's convinced Valtteri Bottas won't suffer a, a confidence uh, slump. And I, I thought it was interesting because I don't really feel that 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 Bottas is number one in a slump, and uh, number two, I don't feel that 2019 Valtteri Bottas is uh, necessarily a, a guy that's going to start navel-gazing and uh, feeling sad and, and, and sorry for himself. I mean, uh, last year, obviously, it, w- it was a tough, tough year for him. He didn't get any wins, and there was a lot of things that uh, went against him that, that just didn't work out. It was just one of those uh, one of those seasons where it was just really unfortunate uh, with, with some of the bad luck that he had. I know bad luck, good luck. Uh, you know, sometimes you say, you know, good luck is something you manufacture yourself or what is it? Preparation and hard work meets uh, opportunity, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, the, the point is uh, this year, I mean, we're only half a dozen races into it. And there have been a couple of uh, times when, when things haven't quite worked out for, for Valtteri Bottas, but he's only 17 points behind Lewis Hamilton in the uh, in in the championship at the moment and i mean he, he may be a little bit frustrated i mean the incident that he had with uh, with the verstappen in monaco i mean it was unlucky in one regard because he had to come back immediately in uh the, the very next lap to change tires again because the uh, the the wheel on that first set was broken but i mean it was lucky in a sense that the damage could have been that much worse. I mean, he, he still ended up on the podium. He still ended up in third. But at that the on, on on the other hand, I mean, he could have been in a worse situation because the car was damaged even worse, or maybe they also had to change, say, the front wing because uh, there was some damage there, or there was damage to the floor or the you know side pod, whatever it might have been. And he could have uh, been going back out being a, uh, a lot slower uh, than he was uh, before. And uh, he only dropped uh, one position, which uh, which he made back up in the, in the end anyways. So it was fortunate to, in, in that regard. And so Certainly, I think that uh, that Bottas went away after the end of 2018 and took that time that he needed and, and get refocused. And I think that that's uh, from from all the stories that I read over the winter that he did exactly just that and came back this year a, a lot more focused. And I, I think that we've seen a different kind of Valtteri Bottas the, this year in the couple of wins that he's had. And uh, but I mean, it's it's a long, long season, and I think that uh, to. To make that suggestion now, I mean, you know, I, I have respect for Toto for standing up for his boy and, and uh, you know, giving him a, a, a bit of a vote of confidence in public because I always thought that it was a, an unintended jibe or, or maybe a bit more of a Freudian slip last year at the, uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix when he managed to stay in front of the Ferraris of Raikkonen and Vettel for so very long until eventually, uh, they, you know, uh, Vettel was able to pass him and then also 
uh, Raikkonen, and I, I think after the race, I can't remember the exact quote, but uh, Total Wolf said something to the effect that uh, that Bottas was the perfect wingman because while he had the two Ferraris behind him, Lewis was all the way uh, up in front and increasing the gap there and building up a very comfortable lead. So by the time Vettel got in front of uh, of Bottas, that there was going to be no way that he was going to be able to catch up uh, to Hamilton by the uh, by by the end of the race and, and make a challenge for the lead. And I think that uh, it wasn't an intended comment uh, from 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 Total Wolf. I think it's a sort of something that came out, but I think that that must have. It must have stung, even if it, uh, even even if it was an unintentional sort of thing. But uh, Bottas, I think he he did very well to put the, the the frustrations and the disappointments of 2018 behind him. And what we saw when uh, when when Formula One started again in uh, in Australia at the in the middle of March was a completely different uh, Valtteri Bottas. I think it was a real statement by him because he was just miles faster than than everyone else, I and mean, he was able to to keep uh, his teammate at bay by it was about five or six seconds, I believe, by the time the race was over. I mean that's that's pretty good. I mean, to, to come in and throw it down like that in the very first race of the year, especially when you have Lewis Hamilton for your teammate and your, your team principal was saying all winter long that if you want to stay with this team, you've got to perform on a level as uh, as Lewis Hamilton, who just coincidentally happens to be your teammate and also happens to be a five-time world championship or champion. And hey, no pressure. Anyways, he's uh, done very, very well. Anyways, time now for another quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back back after this short message. All right, welcome back to Scuderia F1 here on the Overtime Podcast Network. Let's talk now about Ferrari. I know, I know. But what the hell happened in qualifying? My goodness, Charles Leclerc not even making it out of Q1 because apparently as as a, as a society, as a civilization, we can do things like send men to the moon and return them to Earth. But Ferrari, some 50 years later after Apollo 11, cannot calculate something very simple as what the cutoff time is going to be needed to make it into Q2. So what they wanted to do was they wanted to, to keep him in the pits and not up, uh, use up another set of tires that he was going to use for a, you know, a fresh set of tires for Q2, and he ends up getting bounced out in Q1 with the likes of Robert Kubica, George Russell, and the perennial uh, guy that never makes it out of Q1, and that is Lance Stroll. Okay, maybe never's a long time, certainly hasn't done it in the last 10 or dozen races or so, but to get knocked out in a blunder like that must be infuriating because it just uh, turned out to be one of those weekends where nothing really went right for for Charles Leclerc and then just to you know add insult to injury <laughs> I mean you're there to race you're there to win but you're doing it in your own backyard because Charles Leclerc is from Monaco he literally was racing around in his uh, in his own neighborhood a very uh, exclusive and, uh, and and very posh neighborhood. But still, you know, when you're at home, you, you want to put on a good show because you're going to have family, you're going to have friends there, and you want to always win the home race. I mean, that's just a, a given for for any driver. I mean, look at Mansell Mania way back at the, in the day at the British Grand Prix and in, in contemporary and modern times. Look at uh, how the fans go nuts every time Lewis does well or wins at, uh, at Silverstone. I mean, I don't think we're going to see those British Grand Prix type crowds or the Tifosi from uh, from Monza show up in, in in Monaco. But 
you want to win the home race and uh, it just must have been infuriating for Charles to to get knocked out of qualifying in that uh, in that way and it's just another embarrassment uh, for Ferrari I mean this is a team that is I mean they're historic and unparalleled in what they've done in all the years that they've been in Formula One but the way that they continue to shoot themselves in their foot I mean it just really continues to defy uh, explanation and then I was uh, I was talking to somebody the other day who threw out a, a point of view that I never even really considered before and maybe kind of makes me feel a little bit guilty about some of the the criticism that uh, that I've levied at uh, at uh, at uh, Sebastian Vettel over the past uh, year or so but I mean whatever I mean what's been said has been said and I'm sure that Sebastian's not listening to my podcast anyway so maybe I'm going to get away with it but the the point is uh, that that my friend was making was that with uh, all the mistakes that uh, that uh, that Vettel made at times last year, maybe he was distracted by all the or the the lack of confidence in some of the decision making that uh, that comes in from the from the pit wall at uh, at Ferrari because we we've seen repeatedly over time how other teams have just nailed it and when when it comes to um, real daring pit stops and double stacking cars like we saw Red Bull do at the Chinese Grand Prix last year which ended up in a race win for for Danny Ricardo uh, just they they took advantage of uh, of a safety car or a virtual safety car managed to to just get the cars in quickly react on spur of the moment or even just reacting to to what's happening on the uh, on the track on the situation and you see uh, one of your rivals go in and try the undercut in the pit stop and then you just kind of wonder okay what are they going to do and then they come out they seem to they they always re- react so late sometimes you know they they put the, the the car on the wrong tires and there's just been so many questions about them and it has just been it's been frustrating to watch because when you you have a team like Ferrari and they, they've been competing on, on a better level and they were legitimate rivals uh, for uh, for Mercedes last year. And, and I still maintain to now that that was uh, a championship for both uh, Vettel and for the team that got away from them last year, but no point in crying over spilled milk. Now, the, the thing is, is that the continued poor decision-making that they have is just, uh, like I say, it's, it's, mind-boggling because you really expect more from them and that's the thing with the Mercedes that even though they put Lewis Hamilton on the wrong tires uh on Sunday in Monaco and uh, they were the first ones to admit it that they made a blunder that they put uh, put him out on the wrong tires and uh, they were really appreciative of uh the, the job that Lewis did uh, to fight the way that he did uh, to keep Max Verstappen at bay for so long and uh, and win that race and but that usually isn't what we see for a, from Mercedes because they always seem to get it spot on, race in, race out, year in, year out. And uh, what they, they continue to do both on the track, in the car, in the pits, on the on the pit wall, in the factory, in the design office, uh, it, it really is impressive. And then you look at Ferrari that just have similar uh, big budgets and uh, and resources to work with, and it it just like I say, it, it just boggles my mind to see them continually struggling with with these things that seems so elementary. I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend that I know all the ins and outs of uh, what uh, what it takes to. 
uh, run a team in Formula One. I'm not, I'm not going to suggest that at all, but I mean, just a simple calculation of, uh, of a cutoff time, like uh, what you need to make sure that you're going to uh, progress. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I think I, in the, in the first uh, couple of qualifying sessions, if you finish first, or as long as you're not in that cutoff zone, you're, you're progressing. So that's all you really need to do. I mean, it didn't really matter if Charles had set the fastest time in that session. All he really needed to do was make sure that he got out of Q1 into Q2, and then from Q2 to Q3, and then hopefully uh, make a fight for the for, for pole position in the top 10 shootout. But the thing is, you're not going to be able to compete for that uh, pole position if uh, you're one of the first five cars to get chopped out uh, at the very beginning. So very sad and very frustrating. And it just, like I say, the the, the continued bizarre and, and disappointing uh, things that we see uh, from Ferrari really continues uh, to defy uh, expectation and, and logic. I just don't understand at this point a team as big as Ferrari that uh, <laughs> that can have these uh, continued problems. So they did say that they will alter their qualifying procedure after uh, Leclerc's Q1 exit in Monaco. So let's hope uh, something comes uh, of that. But now let's just uh, talk a little bit about uh, Charles. Uh, he did make one brilliant overtake on uh, Raskax uh, early in the race. And uh, he tried the same thing again uh, a couple of laps later to try and uh, pass uh, Nico Hulkenberg in the um, <clears throat> in the Renault. Uh, he just clipped the Armco barrier and uh, that pushed him into the Renault. And, uh, well, <laughs> a somewhat... Um, chagrined Nico Hulkenberg said that uh, Charles was impatient and uh, quote definitely too ambitious in uh, attempting the pass that uh, that caused the uh, their coming together at Raskas but you know I know that uh, Charles you know starting where he did I think he did benefit of uh, moving up a, a, a spot due to a grid penalty for for somebody but do you really have anything to lose at that point? You know, even if you're starting 15th or 16th, that in today's Formula One, and despite you're in Monaco, the, the attrition just really isn't there, unless there was like some some big accident or some an unusually high amount of cars retiring due to mechanical failure. He was going to have his work cut out for him, even to try and get up into the points. I mean, he had a very good opportunity to, to do so. But I mean, it took him a, you know, several laps before he really could... Uh, you know, get into a position to, to start moving up uh, through the field. But you just kind of had that feeling that once he clipped the barrier like he did and how he, he tagged uh, Nico Hulkenberg, that it just kind of seemed like it was going to be the, the beginning of the end. And it's unfortunate too, because where they came together, he was right just before the pit entry there, but he went around for another lap and then his uh, his right rear tire started to come uh, come apart and it was just flailing all over the place by the time he got around to the end of the lap to go in uh, and there, there was just way too much uh, damage on the car and uh, retiring shortly thereafter really did sum up the the entire weekend I think for 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 Charles Leclerc who must be looking forward to getting over to to Canada and move on to to the next race but still the thing is I mean he can look forward to the next race but there's still all these nagging questions uh but I mean I don't know do you, do you think at some point can can we assume at some point that uh, Ferrari's going to get this right? I don't know. <laughs> that's a $64,000 question. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but uh, that's uh, uh, been, I think, a couple times now this year that uh, that he's been let down by things that uh, have not been his own 
fault. Anyways, we're going to take one more quick break here on Scuderia F1, and we will be back after this very short message from our sponsors. All right, welcome back to the show. Anyways, as we start to wind it down here, I'm going to just start off with a, a quote that I thought was a little bit amusing. And sorry, I can't contain myself here. And Sebastian Vettel says, quote, Ferrari's car is not as bad as it looks. Okay, <laughs> a real ringing endorsement for the SF91. And uh, well, it hasn't uh, turned out to, to be the car that we all thought it was going to be, but... It uh, still wasn't a match for the Mercedes cars in, in Monaco, of course, on a, such a tight and twisty and slower circuit, you would expect that the the, the field would be uh, kind of a little bit more compressed in those uh, those gaps that you typically see on, say, a, a purpose-built track compared to a, a road circuit uh, would be a, a lot less. Uh, but certainly, even uh, having said that... Uh, it, I still have my doubts whether or not uh, Sebastian would have been able to to challenge uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, in a straight fight uh, on Sunday, and that's uh, you know that goes for, for for Charles Leclerc as well. I think that uh, even if uh, we we saw a fight between uh, Mercedes and Ferrari, I think uh, Mercedes would still have come out on top. Now this next one. This was just mind blowing, and this I'm referring to um, uh, the the incident that Sergio Perez from uh, Racing Point had, and uh, th- this was uh, when he was coming out of the pits, and he says himself that he was quote very lucky to avoid hitting a pair of marshals that ran across the the the, the pit lane, and wow, you can go to his Twitter, it. Uh, it is just, it just makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. I mean, he's coming out of the the, the pits and these uh, two uh, marshals run by and he basically threads the needle. The one guy uh, runs across and uh, I guess jumps over the Armco barrier on the right-hand side of the, the, the pit lane. The other guy just freezes in his tracks. And I mean, these guys were literally only inches away from uh, getting, getting hit. And uh, Checo Perez says on his uh, Twitter, after this incident, I'm just very happy with the outcome of my day that we can all go back home safe and sound with our families for the safety of the marshals. I hope it never happens again. And I mean, talk about frightening for those two guys that were trying to run across the pit lane. I mean, poor, you know, Perez, he must have had his heart in his throat because he's coming out uh, out of the pits. And even though the speeds are a lot lower than on the track and, and certainly at Monaco, the speeds are a lot slower than anywhere else. I mean, they're still racing. The cars are still fast. I mean, what we think is slow to watch these cars go into the pit lane. I mean, they're still going very, very quickly. I mean, if uh, you were hit by a car doing a similar speed on a, on a road, it would not end well. So, I mean, it, it is hair raising stuff. So anyways, check it out on Twitter at S. Checo Perez and, uh, or YouTube it, it, I'm sure it's all over the place, but, uh, really, really frightening stuff. Anyway, sticking with Racing Point, they believe that they have, uh, or they're targeting a good fix to the, the Monaco, uh, uh, setback in Canada and, uh, and auto, uh, sorry, Otmar Safnauer, the team principal says that they will have a good fix for its qualifying issues for the upcoming Canadian Grand Prix in a couple of weeks. And they both failed to make it out of Q1 at, uh, at Monte Carlo last week. And that's, uh, Sergio Perez and, uh, Lance Stroll. They only finished 16th and 17th quickest. So, you know, obviously not a, a very good day. And like I was saying uh, earlier, Lance has not made it out of Q1 now, I believe in the last 10 races. I mean, that certainly doesn't look good for him in, in any, any circumstances, but I mean, that, that, that's even going back to last year when he was, uh, with, uh, with Williams, but it's, uh, 
again, I think I was talking about it last week, maybe the week before, but but Racing Point is is, is honestly another one that's a, a bit of a head-scratcher at the moment. I mean, we saw over the years how well they were able to do when they were Force India, and certainly this is a team that does not have the money and the and and the the deep pockets like a lot of the other teams. But having said that, in the in the Force India days, they were still able to do a lot more with a lot, with a lot less. And I mean, they weren't necessarily cha- challenging for race with victories, but certainly they were a very competitive uh, midfield team. And uh, I always thought it was a uh, that was more impressive just based on the fact that they didn't really have a lot of cash to play with. And when you look back to about this time last year, when the team was literally on life support and it was really kind of worrying that uh, when they went into administration and uh, Perez was basically suing them on uh, for unpaid uh, wages and salaries and all those things that I, I I got the was getting the vibe at one point that uh, perhaps this is a team that's not going to come back after the summer break, let alone uh, pull up to the grid for for twenty nineteen. So I was I was encouraged when uh, when Lawrence Stroll and uh, and his group uh, stepped up uh, to to buy the team. <laughs> We we could leave that discussion about uh, you know he's buying the team just so uh, you know his son Lance is somewhere to race. I mean that's kind of irrelevant, uh, a little bit uh, pointless in the in the larger discussion. But I mean uh, Lawrence is an extremely wealthy guy. I mean uh, they obviously love to race the strolls, and he, you know he put his money where his mouth was more or less, and decided to step up and 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 basically buy the team and the. The result last year was immediate because they they went into the summer break. They came back, rebranded as a Racing Force Point, or sorry, what was it? Uh, Force India Racing Point or Racing Point uh, Force India, and the that that cash flow injection that they they received mid season really was uh, was like a breath of fresh air like a, it, it really did propel them forward and even though they had to uh, forfeit the points that they'd earned in the first half of the season uh, because of all that just renaming and that switch and everything like that um, you know that was fair enough I mean that's uh, the, the way that the rules go but uh, they did excellent uh, basically in the second half of the year uh, to to get the points that they, they they did and they were they just on the track I mean they were much Racier after Lawrence and his uh, group came along and injected the funds into the team. But this year, they just haven't uh, been able to, to get it done. So it, it's a bit strange that that uh, they're economically stable. They've got uh, good ownership in place. And there's no worry about uh, anything on that front. So certainly that is one of the, uh, the, the more, un- well, I wouldn't say unusual, but uh, certainly it's a uh, a situation that uh, I didn't really expect to see. Anyways, I wanted to just uh, again talk uh, quickly about uh, uh, Carlos Sainz. I got my notes mixed up here a little bit, and uh, he said his double pass at the start of uh, the, the Monaco Grand Prix was one of his very best starts in F1, and uh, it really was. I mean, <laughs> it was uh, very, very uh, impressive. He qualified ninth, and he got away very well, and then he got boxed, uh, boxed in a little bit at Saint-Devot, and uh, 
uh, it allowed Alex Albon to pull up uh, beside him on the run up the hill, but uh, he really uh, committed. And then as uh, Albon backed off, as they go into the left-hander at the top of the hill, he uh, managed to go around the outside of uh, Danny Kvyat as well. So <laughs> he really, really did uh, quite a number to get in front of those two uh, Toro Rosos. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I think that Toro Rosso, I, I think they deserve a, a bit of respect. They, they've looked uh, fairly racy at times, and uh, maybe they haven't had a, a lot of points, but uh, it'll be interesting to see where they end up uh, this year. I think last year, the way that they really faded was uh, was a little bit unfortunate, but when you uh, take into account the fact that they basically ended up as a test bed for the Honda engine, so they could really accelerate that program and uh, really develop it as uh, fast as possible in uh, their their uh, um, uh, their their move to Red Bull for this year it, it is understandable because they were trying to work out all the bugs uh, beforehand and if that meant that uh, Toro Rosso was maybe going to suffer some mechanical uh, setbacks along the way in retirements and engine problems or engine changes that uh, resulted in grid penalties and the, uh, the the larger picture of helping them accelerate that uh, pro- uh, program to get those uh, engines not only in the in the Toro Rosso's for this year but also in the big team the the, the Red Bull then that was uh, uh, just a uh, part of it. Anyways, let's uh, talk now quickly about uh, Williams and Robert Kubica believes that he's finally uh, silenced his critics with the drive that he had at Monaco uh, last weekend. And uh, he believes that uh, it was a strong weekend for him. And uh, he says that uh, just proves that he hasn't been uh, compromised uh, by his uh, injuries. So you know, I, I think that's a that's a, a, a fair comment uh, for him. I mean, uh, certainly it's been a, a very <laughs> difficult year for him. I mean, the, uh, the the two Williams cars are still a couple of seconds slower than the the, the cars at the front of the grid. I mean, it is just uh, just still another one of those uh, situations that uh, really makes you scratch your head and wonder how a team that is experienced like uh, Williams is uh, that they can just get a car design wrong so many years on the trot and uh, and just seem to be going backwards but anyways I mean a little bit of good news is better than than another week of bad news. So if uh, if Kubica is is uh, happy with the the outing that he had, I mean he was eventually classified 18th. I mean obviously there was a couple of cars that didn't finish the race, but still, I mean if uh, he feels he had a a strong race, then well I'm I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, especially what they've all been through over the uh, the, the season thus far. And also uh, his teammate, uh, George Russell, felt that he was actually on for the points at, uh, at, some pi- uh, at, uh, at some point during the race. And he did finish uh, in 15th. So again, and not a bad result. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a different situation than maybe being on a, on a purpose-built uh, racetrack rather than a road course uh, for, for Williams. But I think even though they didn't get in the points... 15th doesn't sound all that great. Again, any kind of positive news, I think, is positive, especially for these guys that have really struggled. I know I'm beating that that drum over and over again, but sure. I mean, we've been critical enough about them uh, this year, so let's show them a little bit of love here and and, and not uh, (laughs) be too harsh each, each and every week. So finally here, last story before... I turn off the lights here and shut it down for another week. And that is that there, there's news out now that uh, Formula One's move to standard gearboxes for 2021 has been canceled. And that is following a World's Motorsport Council vote uh, to um, uh, retain freedom of gear, uh, gear, 
sorry, Gearbox Supply in Grand Prix Racing. And uh, they had uh, an invitation to tender uh, put out uh, earlier this uh, spring. Actually, it was back in February. Uh, and they were looking for a single supplier of Gearbox cassettes for the next uh, tech regulation cycle from 2021 to 2024. Uh, they um, had four bidders apply to get the Gearbox uh, deal. And uh, they've just uh, decided that uh, it's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's a bad thing, honestly. I, I think that uh, although it's a good idea to try and reduce costs in in Formula One, I, I don't have a, a big problem with uh, standardizing certain things. But when it comes to some of the core pieces of uh, what goes into a Grand Prix car, let the teams build the gearboxes themselves. I mean, if they're they're not one of the teams that builds uh, their, their chassis and their engine, say like a Mercedes, like a Ferrari, like a Renault, and uh, you know their their engine customers, whatever. But I mean, they, I think that the gearbox is something that uh, they should be designing themselves. So I don't uh, necessarily see this uh, as a bad uh, decision. But we'll have to wait and see exactly what shape these new regulations for 2021 are going to uh, going to look like. And uh, there sure hasn't been a lot of news about that uh, in recent times. Although uh, the, the the most recent thing I heard was that uh, they are inching slowly towards uh, getting it all sorted out so it'll be interesting to see how close they get to the the ideas that were originally floated by formula one uh you know over the the, the past uh, year or so and uh if, if they can stick to that or how much of compromise it will be with the teams anyways that is it for the show this week thank you so very much for downloading and listening to the show it's uh, very much appreciated and enjoy sitting here and talking formula one with you guys each and every week and enjoy it even more when my friend and co-host kevin laramie is here like i said the guy's got his hands full planning and preparing for his wedding so we might have a couple more weeks like this until he comes back but hey we're, we're going to keep going. I'm going to persevere and we'll get to do again this time next week. So if you have any comments or feedback for the show, you can email that over to us at f one pod gmail.com or you can tweet us on the Twitters at f one pod And that's it. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, guys. We'll talk to you again soon. for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.